but mostly it's just uh, idea formulation and validation and helping uh, make sure that all of the uh, I's are dotted and T's are crossed type of thing. Hey everyone, this is Nazar Akil from Max Pro. Hi, I'm Linda. And I'm Paul. And we're Love and Pebbles. Hi, this is Lopa Vandermersch from Rasa. Oh, you're listening. And you're listening. And you are listening to, to the Ecom Show. Welcome to the Ecom Show, presented by Blue Tusker. The number one place to hear the inside scoop from other e-commerce experts, where they share their secrets on how they scaled their business and are now living the dream. Now, here is your host, Andrew Math. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Ecom Show. I'm your host, as usual, Andrew Math, and today I'm joined by the amazing Garrett Sachs, who is the international e-commerce lead over at GNC, uh, and also has its own uh, consulting business that we're going to dive into. But, Garrett... How you doing, buddy? You ready for a good show? You ready hey, to do this? Andrew. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I am. Let's do it. Beautiful. Uh, super excited to have you on the show. I know you have um, you know, your own consulting business on, on the international side, and then obviously that's your specialty over at GNC. You know, uh, a lot of the sellers that we um, are lucky enough to have on this show, usually between like the seven to eight figure area, and we've had a handful of you know, these larger nine figure businesses. So to hear you know, from a, a business of, of GNC's size and to get some insight into how the big guys do it. You know, it's always kind of nice to have someone on the show. So really appreciate you uh, joining us today. Um, I'd love to do the stereotypical approach and just kind of give you a minute here and let you uh, kind of give some more insight into your background, obviously your consulting business, your role at GNC, and we can kind of go from there. Awesome. Yeah, happy to. Thanks. Um, I guess I kind of come from a little bit of a different background because I graduated college in 2009, height of the economic collapse, and moved to Shanghai. So I lived in China for about four years, uh, lived in Southeast Asia for a little bit after that, and then moved into Latin America. So I've kind of approached uh, my career, at least, um, from different international settings and have picked up along the way uh, kind of trends of how technology is affecting the way that people shop. And uh I guess when I first got into to China, for example, they were behind the U.S. in terms of, um, say, net usage and, and what was going on in the e-commerce world. But by the time I left there, it had completely swapped. So I've learned a lot from um, what they do and have implemented some of those, I guess, tactics into, uh, into the U.S. business. And it's been a fun ride along the way. And so you have your own consulting business where you help different CPG brands kind of execute on some of this, as well as the fact that you have a role at GNC, correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, a lot of times, I think one a big misconception is that international e-commerce or cross-border e-commerce um, is requires a lot of logistical infrastructure or um budget or marketing budget. And it's true. And any entrance into a new market, you're going to have to um, probably swallow some some red numbers before you get into the black. But um, with kind of some of the shifts with technology and logistics options, uh, smaller brands can enter in international markets relatively easily uh, as well. Uh, and so I guess that's something I've been trying to, to spread the spread the gospel about. 
So from the consulting side with the brands that you're helping, what kind of insight are you giving them? What like is there a service involved or is it just kind of coaching them through like, okay, you know, you're going international, here's some things to consider, here's the approach you might want to take. Like what's that whole process like? Recently it's been more consultative approach. Uh, in the past I would I would be like more project management. Like I've set up several, say, near shoring uh 3PL operations, um, warehouses in Hong Kong, for example. Um, but mostly it's uh just uh, idea formulation and validation and uh helping uh make sure that all of the uh I's are dotted and T's are crossed type of thing. And so is that very similar in your role at GNC? Yeah, GNC is a very unique business. Um, it's uh, great to see that through the lens of a huge corporation with literally billions of dollars in sales. Um, but they do have a different model. GNC uh, uses a franchise model. So in international markets, they pick one partner, basically, and that partner enjoys exclusivity over um, all channels, retail, distribution, and e-commerce. So with GNC, I'm kind of an internal consultant to each of those operations. We have about 35 websites internationally, and uh, they have varying degrees of uh, e-commerce aptitude. So I'll go in and do like a tech stack um, uh, recommendation for them, guide them through any UX or UI changes that they have upcoming, um, and give any like third-party tool recommendations as well. Uh, some of them are really big operations, multi-million dollars and others. Um, exist only on marketplaces. So I spend a good amount of time on each of the uh, marketplaces as, as well. I would imagine that, you know, starting to scale international, going retail is going to be a lot more challenging than at least for a while staying e-commerce just because of bridging any kind of cultural gaps or anything along those lines. So am I correct to assume that usually the first step for someone to enter a new market is typically marketplace or, you know, expanding their D2C into other regions? Exactly. Yeah. And so clearly GNC is in the um, vitamin mineral supplement space, um, which uh, has different regulations in every country in the world, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what has... Uh, really become more popular over the last 10 years or so, really starting with China's cross-border e-commerce. Essentially, the idea is that uh, the importing country will accept products from a Western or developed economy um, so long as it goes through their marketplace or, or their platform where they can exact some taxes on you, but allows you to, to enter that market without having boots on the ground or relabeling product or going through the registration. Interesting. So when you start, if, you're, if your opinion is to take, you know, going through a marketplace and, and taking it in that direction where you're going over to a different market or a different region, I should say, is that is the thought to stay in a, in a marketplace, let's say, you know, the most obvious being like an Amazon uh, domestically, and then, you know, obviously you're going to want to scale it out from there. But then when you go to expand, start to leverage the other regions that that marketplace has available. So obviously Amazon being in many different regions, would you say it's easier to then expand within those regions? Or is your suggestion to find similar marketplaces in those regions and start to explore offering your product line on there? Yeah, good question. I think that 
because of the ease of Amazon, most people are playing on Amazon already. Um, so you can essentially copy paste the ASINs into the new markets and that makes it pretty easy. But overall, from a larger strategic perspective, look at what marketplace is, is winning in that in, in your target market. I um, used, <clears throat> let's use Lazada, for example. They are a primarily owned by Alibaba, but they operate in, in Southeast Asia. So I built out the Lazada store first in Malaysia because we had a high degree of brand awareness already, GNC did. And uh, once I built the infrastructure with Lazada in Malaysia, I was e it was easy for me to basically copy paste and launch in Indonesia, then launch in the Philippines and most recently in, in Singapore. So once you build the infrastructure on, on one, it's pretty easy to apply that to other markets so long as the uh, marketplace uh, supports it. I know expanding into you know international marketplaces, there's a handful of obvious challenges, as you mentioned, you know, some logistical stuff and accounting and taxes and all that fun stuff. But from a from a marketing side, how do you prepare to start going into another region, especially if you're starting off on a new marketplace like you did uh, with Lazada? Like what was what was even though you already had some brand awareness there, obviously you get the added benefit of that. But what's what are those steps that are taken before you decide, OK, this is a viable marketplace for us to be on? Yeah, um, very fair question. And, and that's where it takes a little bit of. Uh, where art meets science, I, I suppose. Uh, but product market fit is obviously very important. And so I did some tests just on uh, like using landing pages, place, placing ads on social media and uh, uh, search. In Malaysia, yeah, it was a little bit of a different experience because we had previously had a partner there. Uh, but I'm going through this uh, process currently in uh, Brazil to basically do a full market entry we're currently being sold on Mercado Libre, but very few customers actually know about the brand. So I have um, uh, worked with a couple different marketing agencies, uh, well, more so creative agencies on creating culturally relevant content that's entirely different than what's in the US um, in deploying them across all channels, um, uh, including, including TikTok, of course. Of course. <laughs> is that uh is that kind of your go-to is starting on a, a TikTok internationally before you start to expand it out there? I have been able to see success on TikTok faster than, than other platforms. So that's been uh that was a pre pretty quick go-to um with this new market entry, but uh a lot of more established companies have been slower to kind of uptake that and it's tricky because it's kind of a, a mix between an influencer channel and a marketing channel um, mm -hmm. uh, because you have to have good content for it to actually work. Yeah. Is the focus typically on the organic side or more on the paid side for TikTok? Uh, well, we've both had to pay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> of course. Uh, Everything's paying now. Right. Um, so when you start to expand over there, well, actually, let me backtrack real quick. Going from the U.S. overseas, there's no matter where you're going overseas, there's kind of opinions from everyone about the complications of whichever region you end up going into. I've always been curious, though, what's the theory or the the mindset uh, of people in those other regions trying to expand to the U.S.? Is that 
similar challenge? Is it more of a challenge? What's that kind of look like? Do you mean international brands trying to sell into the U.S.? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's very easy. The U.S. accepts international shipments and doesn't have a duties threshold. Well, mm-hmm. there might be a duties threshold, but it's a very large number. Um, so for personal consumption, you're probably fine. Um, I'd encourage uh, international brands to try to do that. The problem is that all the marketing metrics cost for per acquisition in the U.S. is is very high compared to a lesser developed economy. So where we get to play with U.S. dollars in Brazil, for example, my marketing dollars take me way further than than trying to go the opposite way. That's a good point. The CPG brands that you're uh, mainly consulting for, what what size do they vary in? Uh, generally, like one to ten million dollars in sales. They're not okay. uh, they're not tiny, but not that big. So, what's your you know you start taking someone on? Let's say they've always sold in the U.S. Now they're ready to expand into another region. What is your first step to figure out a what that region should be, and then b how to start getting them in that direction? So I've done a. a I'm a big fan of using Google Analytics and kind of nerding out on on audience segmentation. Um, you can pick up on on some trends on on who is getting to your website from where, um, and that can identify like you can identify where some growth opportunity is. We we had some other market validations like through through uh, different marketplaces. Amazon will even show you if international people are trying to buy your product, so that might give you a hint. Um, to go in that direction. But you also have to t- uh, take into account uh, the regulations on that. Um, one of the biggest caps in the Brazil business is that you can't ship cross-border anything more than $50 US. And so that's that's inclusive of your cost of shipping down there. If you have $10 freight from the US down to uh, Brazil, then that's really limiting the product assortment that, that you can enter in that country with. So that's a, yeah. a key consideration. I know at least traditionally from what I've done and what I've worked with, with sellers that are looking to go international, usually the first thing that they do without even looking at Google analytics or anything along those lines is they immediately just go to every English speaking country they can think of, especially since most of the sellers we work with are, are here in the States. Is that a, uh, is that a similar approach where you kind of just say like, yeah, that makes sense because it's easier or are you still a big fan of no, let's, let's see where your audience actually is and go there. I, uh, the, the latter for sure. Um, and you, ha- you see big, bigger brands or say anyone ready to, to start looking at international markets generally will look at the market in terms of its total size. Um, so when GNC was looking at Europe, for example, it was, well, what are the biggest markets there? France, Italy, Germany, Spain, and the UK. So we did a competitive analysis, and it's highly competitive. The, that category specifically is, is very fragmented. Um, but we found that it would be way more uh, profitable for us to enter in smaller markets in Europe that have the less competition. So my I guess advice there is uh, specialization is is key. If you just rinse, lather, repeat, then uh, you're you're going to be competing against a lot of people. Yeah. Now the the one to ten million 
annual brands that you've been working with for the most part, right? They are ready to go out there. They're ready to kind of scale it in that direction. You've figured out which region that they want to go in based on the analytics you've looked into. How do you start to work with them or obviously guide them in the best way to adjust their marketing for that specific culture? I know that Amazon, usually the, the suggestion is it's relatively quick and painless. You just got to translate your listings and maybe change up some of your imagery and then you're fine. But scaling a D2C brand and having an, you know, an off-marketplace presence is a very different approach. What's your usual kind of suggestions from that? Yeah, well, the language is, is big. Um, certain markets like Japan, mm-hmm. for example, is very unlikely to convert on your website if you don't have Japanese on, on your website. So there's a number of different tools that you can use that help you kind of auto-translate. I would recommend finding a uh, like a local expert or someone who can confirm all of your, your translations. Um, yeah. But yeah, you bring up a good point because for smaller brands, it's difficult because the creative content that we'll use is specialized per market and i try to recycle as much as as much as i can but um again japan is a um, a very particular market and you really need to uh be speaking to to your demographic there if you're going to succeed um you can get away with it a little bit more on uh with countries that uh say are very much into the united states maybe chile for example um, mm-hmm. but, uh, strong cultural identities, uh, will need to be spoken to in their native, native approach. Yeah. Speaking of the the apps and stuff that you mentioned, that's definitely been something I've come across is they'll, they'll translate, but like not great. What, uh, what is the, I imagine one of the pushbacks is what is the cost associated to having someone manually scan, uh, scan your entire website and adjust any content to be able to, you know, reflect a proper translation, especially if they have like, let's say, a you know, strong SEO approach where they're creating content and blogs and have a large product line, like that's a very large project. How do you usually suggest taking that on? Or is that just a, hey, that's going to be your cost of scaling? I think that's your cost of scaling. I'm, I've been pretty impressed with, with some of the auto translations we've used. Um, the, the cost otherwise uh, some some translation companies will say like 50 cents per word and when you're doing tens of thousands of words Jeez. it's just going to uh price you out yeah. of a budget so i'd uh uh be careful with with things like your your homepage or like key you know aspects but if you if you're just translating articles uh for content piece to hit keywords um I don't know. Some of those auto translations are not so bad. All right. How are you tracking, you know, kind of the, I mean, from a paid ad standpoint, I know, you know, Broaz is kind of thrown around as the end all be all, which obviously we're all aware of, not necessarily the case, but how are you tracking results with these clients as they start to go into these other regions? Some, I know some businesses, they look at each individual region almost as if it's its own individual business. GNC with it being a franchise model, I imagine that's the case there. But are you suggesting, you know, if they're in, um, you know, let's say they're in the States and then they go to Brazil, are you having them look at their numbers holistically or are you having them kind of keep each region a little bit more siloed? Yeah, you have to keep each region, each region siloed. Um, uh, one of the, uh, you know, big 
differences, I, I guess, or, or metric to look out for when you're getting into a new market is who is repurchasing? Uh, well, of course, depends on what you're selling, but in like a consumable like vitamins, for example, then um, you're going to live or die by that by that churn rate. Um, so mm -hmm. I, I've encouraged uh, my clients and, and teams to really take into consideration the, the lifetime value and how that might shift over uh, uh, over uh, like different markets. Yeah. So if you're looking at it from a siloed perspective, how do you usually guide? Um, do you, I, I'm imagining you probably just go through and map out like, okay, from a budgetary standpoint, if we want to get into Brazil, here's what, you know, logistics budget's going to look like. Here's what translating your website's going to look like. And then they just basically look at like, as that's their investment into going into a new region, correct? Um, yeah, essentially. Oftentimes it really does require a bit of uh, logistical ingenuity as well. Um, there are a lot of carriers in the U.S. who can just pick up from your from your warehouse like like normal, uh, but uh, also make you pay an arm and a leg. So um, when when possible, or um, have like a multi phased approach. So what uh, I did for GNC and for some other brands is you will eat the cost, the extra cost of that shipping. Uh, from from the get go and calculate what it would cost you. What is postage if you near shore? What if you used a, a warehouse that that's much nearer your target market or in a free trade zone, for example, and then only tack on to the cost that lesser postage, and you eat the difference in, in the beginning. Then, if your uh, brand starts doing well, then you can actually use that near shore uh, logistical operation. But um, plan to eat the extra cost of, of your shipping in, in, in the beginning. Otherwise, you're not going to get a fair barometer of whether or not your product is going to sell well in that market if you're just adding all of those costs onto the, to what the consumer has to pay. Good point. From your experience personally, you're consulting with these brands that are between you know one to ten million annually, and then you have uh, you know a pretty nice role over at GNC, which is a lot bigger than one to ten annually. Uh, how does your skill set at GNC kind of you know translate over to how you're able to help these smaller brands? Because I would imagine you know the budget you have to work with, the the resources you have to work with the GNC are going to be significantly bigger and and better to work with than what the typical one to ten million annual brands got going. So what is how do you kind of translate like, okay, with what you have in place, here's how we do this at a smaller scale. That is true. Um, very good point. It's a, it's not like uh, if you have a one brand that does a hundred million and one that does 10 million, it's not like you just multiply all of your budgets by 10. It's uh, a, a complete different strategy based on, based on your size. Um, and it, that's definitely true with, with some of the, the GNC markets cause they're, cause they're quite large. But on the other hand, we're in say 30, more than 30 markets internationally. And some of those are, are small operations and they're just, just barely cracking seven figures. And so I will give them the same type of uh, strategic insight that, that I would to any small um, uh, e-commerce operation, splitting budgets between your digital marketing channels, uh, leaving time and budget for uh, new tools uh, throughout the year, UX, UI improvements, um, and, uh, and then, yeah, <laughs> marketing and content creation. Nice. Beautiful. Garrett, really appreciate you having the show. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I'd love to give you an opportunity here, let everyone know where they can find out more about you, your consulting business, and obviously 
I'm sure they can find GNC. They'll be fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm I'm pretty available out there. Um, um, yeah, my email, I guess, is uh, gjsax at gmail, and uh, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Beautiful, Garrett. Really appreciate you having on the show. Obviously, everyone that tuned in, thank you as well. Please, please make sure you rate, review, subscribe, all that fun stuff on whichever podcast channel you want, or head over to ecomshow.com and watch the rest of our episodes from the past. But Thank you all for joining us, Garrett. Thank you as well. Thank you for tuning in to the Ecom Show. Head over to ecomshow.com to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or on the Blue Tusker YouTube channel. The Ecom Show is brought to you by Blue Tusker, a full-service digital marketing company specifically for e-commerce sellers looking to accelerate their growth. Go to bluetusker.com now for more information. Make sure to tune in next week for another amazing episode of The Ecom Show.